Hello and welcome to the Little Minds Big Ideas podcast, the weekly show with the Early Years Network. This week, we are going to be talking all about outdoor learning, the wonders of outdoors and getting children outdoors, even when it's rainy, cold, like winter weather's starting to draw back on us. Perfect timing, isn't it, really, for it? Yeah. It's absolutely freezing out there today. Ben is back in the studio. He's feeling better. Back fitter, stronger and less nasally and yeah, snotty. No. Nobody needed that the other week. No, they didn't. Um, Lucy did fantastic though. She did. She jumped in as substitute. Last minute. Very good. No, she did. And we we really, I really enjoyed talking all about music and and the benefits of music. So if you've not listened to last week's podcast, go ahead and give it a listen. Because I think, personally think, very good. It is. And it delved into a topic in terms of music in early years that I think... I think storytelling was sort of in a similar similar zone in terms of it's often used as a filler, sort of get through the day, we can do some cleaning up. And then I think everyone went, hang on a second, we've sort of watered down storytelling a little bit here and, and the educational, and it can be an activity in itself and, it, and it, we can centre around a lot of what we do around storytelling because it has such strong role modelling, um, communication and language skills, utilising that language, social learning, it has all those really cool um, learning aspects to it and music's very much the same and then when yeah. you delve into the actually the neuroscience and the science in general behind music it is quite incredible how much of um, of a brain workout it actually provides children yeah no it does and um, me and Lucy chatted all about that last week so we won't recover it here that was done I didn't get to that talk one. about it you missed it sorry we're moving on um, just quick updates from us at the Early Years Network We've both got some very nice jumpers on this week, if you're watching the video. Is yours green or blue? Oh, it's blue. This yeah. is the blue one, yeah. end We're not selling them, don't worry. We're not selling merch. <laughs> no, there's no merch. Um, but we did take a few members of the team down to the Nursery Manager show uh, last week on Friday, and we all had our green hoodies on, which was quite nice. People were sort of... Who were they? What are they, what are they wearing? Um, so that was really fun. Got to talk to some interesting people. Um, I think it's just made us really excited for... March next year, hasn't it? Yep, and the Child and Child Care and Education Expo, which we'll be at at the Olympia in London. We will first of March, first and second. What we've got? A we've visitor. been joined by a fly, and we're back. We've got rid of the fly. So yes, we were at the show on Friday, and in first and second of March, twenty twenty four, we are at the Olympia for the Child Care and Education Expo. You can never I can't remember, remember that. the name. I'm so sorry. I'm not good with those things, but I will be there. You will. So it's fine. And it'll be good. We'll have the whole team there. We will. So if everyone, if anyone is going, make sure you come say hello to us. We've got a store in the middle of the floor, I believe. Yes, we're right near the workshop, right in the centre, opposite family. B, oh God, I'm gonna, I think B20, but don't quote me on that. Might not be B20. If you go to B20 and it's somebody else. I'm sure someone really nice will be there. Really nice. <laughs> uh, so that's really exciting. We're looking forward to that and meeting as many people from early years community as we can. Yeah, yeah, it's always a really good thing to um, wander around and meet the people who work in the early years as well as the, the other people who um, showcasing their, yeah. their stuff. Um, from us at the network in general, we have got some exciting new content going up onto the website this week or next week, depending on scheduling for yes. us, isn't it? So we've got classes on Montessori, mm-hmm. Outdoor learning, yep. the impact of COVID, and another of Lucy's top activities. And this time it is Steiner. So anybody doing their qualifications and needs some inspiration on theorists and activities that can link to them, Lucy's um, 
Lucy's class will be a really good one for that. Yep, and so well, it's mine on Montessori as well, isn't it? It is. So we take a bit of a deep dive into Montessori, the history of it, what it's all about and how we can best utilise it in this modern era. Lyft was really interesting, actually, delving into the impact of COVID. Yep. Um, you sort of, not forget about COVID, but it feels like so long ago, doesn't it now? Yeah. And we've transitioned. I mean, a lot of those children that would have been under our care during COVID 2020, so what, three years on, a lot of them would have fallen away into schools now. Um, so it's just interesting how she's delved in some of the research and looking at the sort of the longer lasting impacts of COVID. Yeah. Which is quite a fascinating insight. Um, and then it's yours, isn't it, on outdoor learning? Yes, outdoor learning. And then if you like this podcast, you can watch the class because it gives you a little bit more bit more information. Yep. And then we've got a big one coming up next year on outdoor learning as well. And as we start yeah. to get into spring, we'll probably look to release that one as sort of a big collective class, isn't it? With a bit, of, yeah. a little bit from everyone in, involved yeah. in that one. So we've got some exciting things on the website. So make sure you go ahead and check it out. You can do a free trial um, and then you can sign up for your monthly subscription from there. Absolutely. Right. Shall we dive in? Let's. Outdoor learning. So outdoor learning is, is something that in the statutory framework we are required to do. We're required to give children exposure to the outdoors, but not everyone's outdoors is the same. Yo. Some nurseries in a city, some in rural areas. The outdoor areas will look completely different, but we are all required to allow children the opportunity to get outdoors. Absolutely. So when you think of outdoors, for me personally, there's always a battle. There's always a, oh, I've got to take everything outside with me. I've got to do this, do that. But really, that's not what going outdoors is all about, is it? No. Sometimes I think the first thing we want to hit upon is it's not always about taking your indoors outdoors. You often hear that banded about and... I think that's sort of become a bit of a misconception. I think the the idea behind taking your indoors outdoors is the right idea in terms of anything you do do indoors, you can take that learning outdoors and that is a great way of looking at it. But also outdoor learning, if you only ever do your indoors outdoors, it's just an extension of your indoors then and you're missing out on that outdoor learning as daft yeah. as that sounds. I think sometimes what we can miss is actually embracing the outdoors and embracing activities and just play that you can do outdoors that children can't replicate indoors. Now, we're going to cover a lot of this, but so often children are shackled indoors. Don't run. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't climb on that. Don't do that. Whereas the display and all these urges, these natural innate urges that children have to climb, to run, to, run to touch yeah. things that they're not allowed to touch. <laughs> yes. But when they get outdoors, they have way more freedom. And I think that's probably the key word here, freedom. When we're outdoors, obviously still have to risk assess things. Obviously, we can't have little Timmy in the preschool climbing over the fence to get out. Of course. Obviously. Yeah. But if the children are showing an innate want to climb, it's so much easier to create an environment or something that they can climb outdoors than it is indoors. Yeah. And I think if you only ever took your indoors outdoors, you if you if them rules came with you outdoors in terms of, oh, we have to sit in colour, or we have to be quiet and do this, 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 we're really, we're actually not helping the children and we're not actually delivering the purpose of outdoor learning. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Like take your inside outside is when I try to explain it to people, it's inside you're trying to hit all seven areas of learning. You can do the same outside, yeah. but you don't have to take the resources with you. No. And that's not, for me personally, if I know that the children I'm with are really interested in dinosaurs, there's no reason why you can't take, they can't take some dinosaurs outside, yeah. but then use the resources that nature provides you to engage in that play. Yep. The outdoors can't be in, can be enhanced, sorry, but it doesn't mean you have to bring the car mat, the cars, the block, like everything outside. 
bring some bits out if, if the children are interested in it and then use nature to enhance it and further it to explore all areas of learning, of course. But don't bring your tables, your chairs, everything out with you just for the sake of replicating your indoor environment. I think it comes down to like definition, doesn't it? And I think our de definition of outdoor learning personally is the sort of the key benefits that you get from outdoor learning. So it is able to demonstrate more activities in terms of physical play. It's, yeah. it's be able to do more in terms of risky play. It's be able to challenge children in those areas as well as presenting them with the actual natural resources of outside so they get to know different plants, different trees. I mean, it is a bit of a travesty that ourselves included. If we did a walk around the local countryside, I couldn't tell you what trees were. No. I couldn't tell you what the plants no, were. No, I wouldn't know. That's a bit of a failing, isn't it, on our part? Because I'm sure we're not alone. I'm sure a lot of most people, if you walked around and said, well, what is that tree? Most people go, I don't know. <laughs> Even Rachel, who does bits with us here on the network, she's got a forest school um, qualification. Yeah. And even she would probably struggle in reality. She'd yeah, probably get a little app out. She would know, but yeah. yeah, others. I mean, she taught me a really interesting fact about stinging nettles. Right. That stinging nettles actually benefit butterflies. Butterflies yes, use I have stinging that. nettles. Yeah, yeah. So when people say to us, oh, get rid of the stinging nettles, she actually said, no, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Because they are vital to the. And I would never have known that. So I think it's learning about the environment. And actually, children will learn that stinging nettles hurt. Yeah. They will. If you tell a child not to touch something, they'll touch it and then they'll find out why. But we can't rip it away from them because that's not the real world outdoors. Absolutely. If you went on a nature walk with your family or whatever and you come across a big big thing of stinging nettles, nobody's going to come and just take them away because people are walking there. It's no. the natural world. So it's learning that actually what is outdoors we have to respect as much as we'd respect any resources yeah. inside. And how is the human's learn best it's from our own mistakes and someone can tell you not to do something so many times but we'll do it again you will probably. you will but no absolutely so i think i think when we look at the outdoors and in this podcast when we're talking about outdoors that's the difference that we're making yeah. when we talk about it and we touched on forest school outdoor play and the benefits of outdoor play were around way before forest school and the concept in this country of forest school really it's popped up what the last 10 years let's say yeah and they'll be around way after the whole kind of Hype. The hype around forest school. I don't want to say that as if I'm dismissing forest school. Forest, if you can do forest school oh, and fantastic. you can embrace what it's about, mm. absolutely. It's, it is a really good idea. The concepts behind it, the qualification you can get is a really good qualification. But again, you can do a forest school and not have to pay for your nose to get this qualification stuff. You can still, don't be scared, I think, of learning and self-teaching and still being able to deliver that. We've stayed away from anything called forest school and on the website and we probably always will because... It's not really our place unless we bring somebody in external and we make a course about forest school. Um, because it comes with an idea of an accreditation, but it's not the be all and end all. Um, no. You can even look in Scandinavia and what they do in Sweden and Norway and places like that with outdoor learning and the kids are outdoors all the time and they're running around with knives and carving things. And it, often I think we'd probably close anyone down in England doing that within the week. Can you imagine... But it's incredible. They don't. If you talk to anyone from Scandinavia, I can't. I can't reference it because I can't remember. But I remember somebody from. I want to say a nursery in Sweden did an interview with a um, early years um, publication online years and years ago. I can't remember who did it. And they were talking about how they never have accidents. The children are brought up around having this equipment, these knives, yeah. whether it be woodwork or whatever else they're doing out there. And there's never any accidents. No one's ever fallen from a tree and broken a limb. 
but because they do it all the time. Does that make sense? And I'm sure there's it's bumps and grades. It's embedded, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. It's their culture. It's, it's what they yeah. do. And I do think, not everyone, I'm not, I'm not trying to cast a wide net across our country, but I do think we are getting to the point where children, they can't even... I've seen people have show rounds around one of our settings where we have a forest school, we have a big area, and the amount of times that the new parents to that environment are saying, no, you can't do that, no, you can't do this, and it's, and it's nothing compared to what some of our kids do at the forest school. <laughs> so, yes. Because you can go up there and they're like monkeys and trees, think, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, too high for me. And, but that's, it's their risk. They've got to take that risk and they've got to learn from it. And like you said, we will cover risky play, but maybe being outdoors and that taking it indoors, outdoors is something that as adults we have to learn not to do. We have to take that step and think, right, if somebody said to me, you can't take any resources outside today, you can just play outside. What is it they're going to do? Yeah. Because I personally still think having things like Play-Doh outside is really good because the natural yeah. that you can add into it is fine. Um, sand, same thing. You can find sand naturally outside, sand outside. It enhances it. But what are the children going to use to play with these resources? So it's like finding sticks to mark make. You don't have to use pens and paper to mark make. Using sticks and stones and making pictures out of the natural resources. In the last um, activity post we put up, we put about um, uh, natural Christmas trees. Collecting stuff, yeah. Collect things and they don't have to stick it down. You can make the picture. You can take a physical picture of it so they can show people. But then you can start again. Yeah. And it doesn't end. That activity doesn't have to stop as soon as they've made one Christmas tree. It doesn't have to stop. And I think it's about getting outdoors and finding the treasures that are out there because there's so many and bringing them into what you do rather than dismissing what's already out there, what you're going out to, to replace it with something manufactured. Yeah, absolutely. It's embracing that nature, isn't it? And, it, and there is teaching behind that, understanding the world, whatever you want to call it. There is teaching children about what the plants are, different types of leaves, even simple concepts as photosynthesis. I mean, I know that sounds quite heavy, but... I mean, yeah. you can start introducing them to really fundamental ideas of of what the planet's all about and, yeah. and the ways we can incorporate that learning. I think sometimes as well, it can be, I don't, it's, it's almost an easy option, isn't it, to go outside and just take all the equipment from in, in, inside and bring it outdoors and write, this is what we're doing and we're just evolving it slightly. Yeah. Whereas having to actually have a an outdoor curriculum almost, it, it often needs practitioners to play more. It, it needs them to actually engage and play with children and run around and, and, and act almost as children and play. It requires that more, which sometimes people can find quite difficult. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, they do. And sometimes it's like judgment from other people. But actually, yep. at the end of the day, if you are employed to be in early years, you've got to accept the fact that you're going to look a bit silly sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's, it's what it is. But it's only silly if if we have that viewpoint of it. Yes, you silly. to others, you yeah. may be viewed as silly, but actually you're just having fun. Sort of a self-ingrained adult way of looking at it but in reality if I see someone playing with children and actually playing you think well good, good on them Johnny yeah, like doing it's job great to well. see yeah absolutely thinking of outdoors and sort of the environments out there it is as we've we've sort of put down is it's the, the ready-made sensory environment for sensory plates there it's, it's handed to us on a plate yeah I, I saw why to talk about sensory play first because especially in early childhood and, and it in truth never actually goes away but sensory and that whether it be single sense or it would be multi-sensory play is so important in early childhood if you look at a lot of the research around this it does show how 
when you engage with... I'm going to go off on tangents here. When you Here we go. <laughs> Buckle up, everyone. Grab a cup of tea. When you engage with, with sensory place, so look at the five um, prime senses that you have. Sorry, side note. I was doing some research with the senses the other day um, and, and I couldn't remember the fifth one. How bad is that? Can we not Can expose you name ourselves? Them? Can you name the five? It's sight. Yeah. Smell. Yeah. Sound. Yeah. Touch. Yeah. And taste. Yeah. No, touch. I couldn't remember touch. What is the... It's one of the key ones when it comes to sensory play. We think know. about it. And I was going... But, I was like, but, but, my head, I was like, what is that fifth sense? And there, then I looked at it and I thought, of course it is. There is now research to, su- to suggest that there could be up to 21, 22 senses. So you have your prime senses. I've got no hope. And then you've got things like balance and perception. And and we'll, we'll do this. I probably would deal with this in a blog post, to be honest with you. But there is so many I'm other... I'm remember all these. Yeah, I know, but I don't think it's... It's not a case of having to remember all 22. <laughs> it's more of a case which, of... It, which 22 senses have we hit today, everybody? <laughs> it's more of a case of having the awareness of that this there. is yeah. what stimulates a child's brain. So in early childhood development, it's exposure to new senses and new things and using our senses that really galvanise and excite a child's brain. And as we've talked about so much... When you excite a child's brain, you get the neuros firing, the, you create this framework that a child used to understand the world around them and understand their body and, and build knowledge. And that's how they ascertain knowledge. And the more we can get these little sparks inside their brains, and it is sparks, it's quite literally um, electrical frequencies going off inside the brain. Again, we can map it, we can see it through, through different um, research methods. We can see how children, when they're exposed to different tastes, different feels, different things that the brain parts and certain parts of the brain, and this is how they know what part of the brain is responsible for certain things. Yeah. Do the same sort of scans for um, language development as well. We can see children what, when they're exposed to sensory play, when they're used to new senses, when they're using their senses, they are more awake, they're more alert, and they engage with what they're doing way more. And if they're engaged with what they're doing way more, they're learning more. So, and especially when it's multi-sensory, because then the brain's really having to work because it's going, wow, this is a new feel. What's that smell? Or taste is a maybe slightly harder one to get involved all the time. Yeah. Because you don't put, normally when you, taste actually normally comes into it when you put cereal in a tough tray. The amount of times I see this in the baby room and they're just yamming it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's where it comes to, but that's also texture. You know, babies yeah. want to put things in their mouths because when you put new textures in your mouth, you can really feel it because the amount of, um, the, the, the amount of nerves and stuff in the mouth is, is incredible. That's why hands, but then also mouths. Um, so that's why sensory play is so important. And I have gone off a tangent, but... That's okay. So if we link it back now into outdoor play, the scope for new senses is is as heightened more than anything. I mean, oh, even for a baby feeling like the wind through their hair for the first time, um, mud and, and being able to play with that as a valuable source. But you can take more messy things outside because... You know, practitioners are going to be less like, oh, you can't make that much mess inside my room. You know, that is a yeah. fractal. And that's where we come back to freedom because we have more freedom. You know, mm-hmm. children then have got the senses of of running and feeling the grass on their legs. Yeah. We touched upon earlier, it's a negative sense, but it's still a sense. Stinging nails. But yeah. as soon as you touch the stinging yeah. nails, poof, child's alert to it. You learn about what that does and the impact that does. And it sends a message to the brain of That's a funny danger. one though, isn't it? Because even as an adult, nine times out of ten in, in like the local fields and things, I will walk into a stinging hell. So it doesn't matter how many but, times I've learned that. I know. Well, yeah. But I will either not see them or just run into it and just think, oh, like, yeah. again. So even though I know that they will hurt me, sometimes you just have to 
you have yeah. to do it, don't you? Yeah, so, but it also because your brain also knows it's not life threatening. No. Yeah, so I, it's going to hurt me, but it's not going to not going to not going to be that much of a threat to me. So, but I've learned that. Yeah, the thing is as well with the brain when it comes to senses, your brain's focuses on only what it deems. I want to say new things. I might have got that slightly wrong. It's like your toes. Technically, you should be able to feel your toes all the time because they rub against each other. But your brain nullifies that sense because the information it's providing your brain is of no relevance. Your brain knows your toes are there. I can feel does, my toes. Does it need today. to constantly be telling you that your toes are there because they're cold? They're very cold, yes. <laughs> but it's things like that your brain doesn't need, feel the need to tell you about, so it doesn't. Yeah. Whereas it's constantly providing you with new information. So the new sensory experiences you can yeah. provide for children, it's going to make a difference and an impact. And, and it carries on to adulthood because if you think about adults and what excites them most, it is always around sensory again. So even if we talk about new foods, there's certain foods yeah. that we like or new foods. There's textures that we do like and we don't like. And there's certain things that excite us more. Even if you talk about sex and things like that, yeah. it is sensory. There is that sensory element. Some adults love to play with things in their hands. They may not do it a lot, but if you see them going to nurseries, you've seen dads pick up like the, the Play-Doh and stuff and everything because it's childish, but they like that sensory. Yeah. And even even like PlayStation games and everything, it's still sensory in terms of lights and, and the reward so, of that and the sounds yeah. and stuff. So there is always that element. And when you go to the cinema, again, it plays on that sound. Live sounds. music. Mm -hmm. yeah, live music, especially, yeah. Playing music. So you don't lose that enjoyment of sensory. But when you're in early childhood and you're formulating these this neurological connections, like we said, and this framework in your mind, your brain uh, is, is primed for learning. You're primed for that neurological development. Sensory is massive in exciting the brain and then an excited brain is a brain that learns and develops. Yeah. So outdoor, <laughs> we keep moving away from outdoors. I was going to say. So when you go so outdoors, when you go <laughs> so when you go outdoors, outdoors, it's such an easy weld to bring sensory it's, development yeah. into it compared to indoors where you're shackled a bit more and you don't have that, let me say, freedom. Yeah. And it's moving away from that sensory has to be in a tough tray. Oh, absolutely. Sensory trays are great. Don't get me wrong. I love a sensory tray, but it's not the be all and end all of sensory. Tough play. trays are great. Just don't spend 30 to 40, 50, 60 minutes making it look like a scene from Game of Thrones or whatever else. Elsa's frozen. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you sometimes you see them and they look amazing, but it's not for the child. No. Or, or if it is, it the child will spend all of about two seconds looking at it and then we'll go, right, I want to put the rice over there. I want to do this. Yeah. And they'll either go off on their schemas or they'll just want to censor it. And like, they don't. If it takes you longer than five minutes to set it up, you don't need to do it. No. You'd be so much better off spending five minutes building it and then spending 45 minutes... Playing with it. Really role model, watching the children, getting some good assessments done on them, engaging with them, extending the opportunities for learning, yeah. doing all that, because that is your job. That's the remit. That's what we should be doing rather than making it look really pretty, taking a photograph of it and getting that, getting your own personal gratification off of, I don't know, social media or... Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what inspires... Which is, which is ironic, isn't it? Because even we will ask for photos of what we're providing for children. So we do still say, because we want to showcase what we're doing. Yeah. So it's difficult to get that balance because everyone wants to show the amazing things that they do for children. And even outdoors, it's getting, there's no reason for getting pictures and things. But actually, we say this to a lot of our teams is, if you're taking a picture of something and you're the one playing, you shouldn't be taking the photo. Yeah. The adult, an adult should be engaging with the children. 
Yeah. There's or, no reason why they shouldn't be. watching. Close by. Strategically. Yeah. For there's a reason why you're watching. Yeah. You're trying to watch how someone engages with it. You're trying to watch for this. You're trying to see if if they're bored or if, see if they're really learning from it or what they're taking away from it or if they're taking it down another avenue, what schema they're using. There's loads of different ways you, we could be watching. And actually, we'll I think we'll share this week the video of the mud that I got recently. Of oh, the little boy. With the little boy, yes. Yeah. And I'm in the video. We were We were playing and we were both... You'll, you'll see how covered he was from this mud, but I was filming it, but engaging conversation. And as soon as I needed to jump back in the play, filming stopped and we yeah. carried on the play. So yes, it's a little bit probably on twofold, isn't it? Because we want to showcase all the amazing things that are being done to share the learning opportunities with everyone in the industry because inspiration outdoors is fantastic because we want people to use the outdoors but you also need to be really engaged, like you said, with the children earlier because that is the job. The job is to engage, scaffold, extend learning for children. Yeah. And outdoors is an especially good place to do that through, like we've talked about, sensory play. Because if you are using, say, sight, you want to focus on sight and you go for a, I don't know, bird watch, using binoculars of some sort, magnifying glasses, whatever that is, there's no reason why you can't do that activity. No. You can't see the animals that the children are seeing if you've not got the right equipment to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fully engaging and being immersive in that in activity with children is really, really important too, especially with sensory play, because you'll enjoy it too. And I remember the best way to get children, speaking about bird watching, we did that a couple of years ago, and nobody, no, no child's naturally interested. They don't really get what's going on. But when I sat down and role modelled it and just started doing it on my own, it's amazing how quickly they suddenly wanted to join in. Yeah. Question what I was doing and why I was doing it. And yeah. before you know it, there was like seven preschoolers around me, all dead quiet, doing the exact same thing. Yeah. And that's what initiated it. It's telling the group of children, right, you are now going to bird watch. And also saying to them, you need to be quiet. Yeah. Worst way to get children to be quiet. Yeah. Is to tell them to be quiet. Yeah. But actually, if you're sat there and someone comes over and says, What are you doing? I'm trying to be quiet because I want to Yeah. They're more likely to engage in it because they've gone, oh. No one ever likes being told what to do. Have you noticed when someone says to you, calm down? Yeah. Has anybody ever calmed down after being told to calm down? No. <laughs> okay, next. We've got off, yeah, sorry. So sensory play, use all your senses outdoors. Outdoors is a wonderful place to... It's a designed zone for sensory play. It's already all there for you. And I think, sorry, just to touch on one more before we move on from this. Um, I feel like now it's appropriate. You don't have to have acres and acres of land. You don't have to have massive oh. gardens. Some places you'll have very small confines of gardens and stuff. If you're in the towns in the cities, it's all about making the most of what you can do. And as long as you're getting outside and you're providing children with freedom, freedom to run, whether it you can make it as an inventive as as, as possible, whether it's taking it's always a game centered around trying to get children moving and to fully enjoy. It's about providing senses, even going to local parks and things like that. You may not be able to do it as much as settings that have it on their doorstep and they're lucky. But it's still are thinking about, right, how can we best provide them with these outdoor sensory experiences, taking the shackles off, as we're going to talk later about physical development. It's about figuring out the best you can do. Not everyone's going to be lucky enough to have masses and masses and masses of space and fields on their doorstep, unfortunately. It's as long as you're providing those children with the best opportunities you can, no one can ask for anymore. No, and that kind of leads nicely into the next bit we're going to talk about, which was getting away from overstimulating indoor environments. So indoor environments can be quite overstimulating with noise, resources, colours, sounds, like everything that's going on in there. 
somebody, if you're in a, a setting, you are, if you've got an enclosed setting, you can might be able to hear the washing machine or the dishwasher. There's all sorts going on noise-wise. I think sometimes you can get used to it as well. I think sometimes you, from an external, because I walk into a lot of settings, mm. sometimes you walk into it, you go, this is crazy, because you've got the Alexa blaring out some sort of songs. You've got colours and everything. You've got children. Like, sometimes, I don't think we sometimes truly realise the amount of chaos going around us. And for certain children who have walked in at the same time I've walked in, because it's not like Too school... Bad kids do just walk in it can sometimes be so overwhelming and we just assume children live on this constant high of like go 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 and a few do some of so some children do, but yeah. some don't and yeah. some need to have less stimulating environment the indoor environment can can sometimes be very stimulating for children yeah and it's getting outside is is just kind of escaping that for a little bit it is um but it's also allowing children's well-being to thrive outdoors it mm. can be calming it can be there's a lot of children i personally worked with a child who had selective mutism and outdoors he actually just thrived because it's not as enclosing you don't feel on top of you and selective mutism is an anxiety is, is about anxiety disorder and actually being outdoors you can see what's going on. There's no worry about who's going to walk through the door next. Who's going to talk to me? You've got your own it's, space a bit more, haven't you? Yeah, it's it's open, and actually, the children can they just feel a bit more relaxed when they're outside. Whenever I walk the dogs, and I'm just wandering around the fields and things, it can be really relaxing because you just think, oh, right, I can breathe. I've got five minutes, and it's there's nobody running around. Mm, it's freedom. It adults the same. You can sometimes, if you've got a job where you're in an office block, for example. You've got all this fake lighting on all the time, you know, those horrible fluorescent tubes, and you're staring at a computer screen. You feel trapped. You feel, yeah. I don't know, sometimes you feel dirty. Do you know what I mean? Like you can feel yeah. sometimes you just want to get out and have a bit of freedom and a bit of fresh air, and you're not trapped in this fake light. Um, overstimulating. This, this overstimulating, yeah. yeah. But also the air quality inside is never as good as outside. Like, there's all these factors that children won't understand the little Timmy won't be sat there in preschool thinking oh this this fake lighting's really giving me a headache or <laughs> it's sometimes or too loud they haven't got yet the skills from a self-regulatory point of view to be able to go oh miss I'm finding it a bit overwhelming at the moment can I just step outside instead they'll cry they'll the bite or they'll do something they to might be demonstrate told, it nine times out of ten they'll be told no at school yeah yeah yeah, yeah. can I take five minutes outside no you can't, no, you can't. it's not the time to go outside because you've got to be quiet and learn yeah but actually they're not in a space to sit down quiet and learn because there is all these things going on. I know. And, and we're not slandering indoor environments and parents do things inside. No. But I think today's conversation is around actually the benefits getting outside no matter what the weather can bring. And, and now we're talking about emotional benefits and well-being. Mm. And it's not just in terms of that feel-good factor because it, it does give you a feel-good factor. It does promote inside your brain. It just gives you boosts of chemicals. I mean, we know that exercise is one of the foundations along with sleep and nutrition for healthy brain development. And, yes. and we're going to talk about physical development soon, but physical development, even in adults, has such a massive benefit for emotional well-being. If people are struggling with depression, anxiety, and things like that, just getting out and doing some exercise will have a great, yeah. great, great benefit. It's been proven it releases chemicals inside your brain. It gives you hits of almost pharmaceutical level drugs, and it and it, and it makes you feel better. It's got natural antidepressant values. Yeah, does get involved in doing exercise. That's tripled for children. Do you know what I mean? The, the, the benefits of it and the effects of it are tripled for children. Then we also have benefits of self-regulatory skills because of 
the type of play children engage with outside. Yeah. Often it will be a bit more social, turn-taking, um, physical exercise. If they're learning how to climb something for the first time or taking part in climbing, they'll quite often fail. And how do you, say, yeah, how'd you try, deal with that failure? again of finally succeeding and watching somebody else succeed and being proud for them. And it's all these positives that a child can start to feel once they've gotten over that initial failure to begin with. Yeah, and how dealing with rejection or failure is a really difficult thing for children. They've got to learn that. And outdoor play is a, is a you know, particularly good environment to be exposed to that because you won't be exposed to the same level of failure most of the time indoors. No. Uh, failure it sounds like quite a harsh word I'm using, but disappointment, a disappointment of how things go and doing things. And even when it comes to building things, if you've set them a challenge, there's that element of self-regulatory skills to learn from it. Um, and equally from a self-regulation point of view, it's trying to deal with the fact that sometimes you're a bit cold and sometimes you're this or that, and you have to be able to deal with it in a way. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, it's almost that um, having that bit more robustness in terms of the cold, but it also... Problem solving as well that comes... It is, yeah. If a child is is cold and wants to needs the gloves on or et cetera, they have to figure out which part of their body is cold and what they're going to do about it. But yeah. then there's other children who never feel the cold and just and that's fine. So it's individuals problem solving for themselves as well. And also in terms of well being, it's that that being able to um to share. That ability to share with others is is huge and if you're outdoors and you're climbing a tree and the rule is one person in the tree at a time, yep. you have to learn that you will get a turn, but you just have to wait because there's safety reasons behind it. Now, at first, 20 kids might be trying to climb that tree and it's going to be absolute carnage. If you set the boundaries from the off, they have to learn that's the rules and that is how yep. we do it. And from a well-being point of view, everybody knows where they stand. So there's no surprises for anybody. Nobody's going to be disappointed. Nobody's going to be this or that because actually we are in a position where I know the rules you know the rules if we all follow the rules we'll all be feeling a little bit yeah, absolutely. better does that make sense yeah absolutely so physical development that comes with it we just talked about climbing trees and things so physical development outside children have that opportunity to run and jump and climb and all those gross motor skills that yeah. they have the urges to naturally do they, they can mm -hmm. outdoors um I think we've spoken a lot about topics that cover sort of physical development. I think yes. I think it can't be underestimated how important physical development is. We talk so much about cognitive development and brain development, and we talked a lot about from a sensory. And, and, yeah, but actually, providing the children with the bone structure, the muscle mass, all these things they need, even just from sorry, even just from a cardiovascular point of view. Yeah, yeah. Developing your heart is the most important thing you have in you. It's the most important organ you have. Is a healthy heart. Yeah. Let's let's give children the best start we can. We, we're seeing at the moment the amount of um, negative research and statistics underlying obesity in this country, poor nutrition, poor diets. Let's give children the best start they can do from a physical development standpoint. Yeah. And let's get the country more active and let's start that and in early years. Teaching them the actual physical benefits of running around. Like if a child has been running and running and running, have them feel their heart have them feel how fast their heart is beating and ways to slow it down, practice breathing techniques, have some water, calm, show them the physical things that are happening to their body whilst they're playing. Yeah. It's a very valuable tool because as adults, we know we know what happens when we get we run around, we get hot, we get sweaty, heart raised, heartbeat raises, etc. But somebody had to teach us that. And teaching children from a really young age the physical 
changes that happen to their body whilst they move it and the benefits of that, then it's a no-brainer as to why you wouldn't showcase that to yeah. them. And children will have an innate desire inside them to want to go run and play. You don't actually need to teach a child to skip, to play, to do all these things. They'll do it themselves. That's not a problem. We as adults just have to make sure we're providing them with enough opportunities to go and do it and we're not shackling that innate desire and want to physically move, roll down hills, play it. There'll be a few children that you've got to give a bit of encouragement to. That's where we get to that whole thing we talked about earlier and being a bit silly and role-playing. Yeah, modern. And role-modeling, sorry, and, and doing it and showing it. But they'll very quickly break off that from that social anxiety, whatever it might be that holding them back, and they'll very quickly join in and want to play and do it. Um, I think the other thing I like to touch on that sometimes fights us a little bit is the introduction more and more as we go through in terms of into technology in the early years. And personally, I find the we our focus should be way more on, on physical activity and playing and getting children physically moving than trying to teach them. Um, AI or, or in teach them, introduce them to technology because that's where us as society may be going. And absolutely, things like coding and aspects of that, uh, understanding how AI works and the children we have in early years now are the children that are going to be developing that and okay. taking that on way beyond that what we can even comprehend. But there's a time and place for that. You can develop the cognitive factors and skills that they're going to need to become masters at coding AI. Yeah, You can teach them about um, having the concentration skills for it. We can teach them about communication language, working well in the teams, problem solving. We can give them all them skills, which then they will later use. But they don't need to sit in front of an iPad. They don't need those skills at this moment in time. You're much better in early childhood when the body is developing, when the mind is developing, to be focusing on developing a healthy heart, developing healthy bodies, developing so these cognitive skills, self-regulation skills these are the skill set they need no one is ever like elon musk isn't what he is now because he played with an ipad at the age of three have you asked him no but i'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> elon if you are listening to this and i'm wrong <laughs> jump on no problem <laughs> but there's people out there who are incredible do incredible things it's not the exposure to an ipad in the early years that makes the difference no. it's actually the cognitive factors they've learned they may have played instruments that's like we touched upon last week that's probably a bigger influential factor and as we're talking about outdoors now and early and play physical development if you can build a physical healthy body you're gonna go you're gonna go far aren't you it's the key for life with those things absolutely um when we talk about running and jumping and climbing uh we touched and we said we would talk about so risky play yep brilliant allowing <laughs> end of right it's really moving on and um, benefits of risky play really do they go on. There's risky so play is amazing. I don't think it's talked about enough at how beneficial risky play is. And the problem is everyone in the industry is absolutely petrified, and quite rightly, because the rules and regulations of course, and Ofsted yeah. and parents' reaction of producing environments that present risk to children because I don't want to risk my business and get shut down. There's massive elements to it that you don't want to... And equally, I don't want a child to break their leg or break their arm. I was going to say, if a child breaks a bone, you have X amount of days Absolutely. to report it. And it's like, oh God, I can't ever expose them to anything that's going to, that's going to yeah. put them at risk for that. But... And health and safety goes so far one way, we never expose children to any risk. No. They just sit down and uh, most they can play over a bit of cardboard and... They'll never learn how to use scissors because there's a risk. Yep. Yeah. But in reality, risky play, we touched upon their problem solving and cognitive factors... Being able for a, for, for a, for a three-year-old, let's say, to be able to look at a scenario and figure out, can I do this? Or is it, what's the risk here? Am I physically capable of doing this? Having the, that awareness, 
then strategizing how they're going to do this, say climb a tree, we'll put my leg there, put my hand there, do that, do that. The amount of, of, of mental benefit and stimulation coming from that opportunity to take part in something slightly risky far outweighs any accident. Oh, gosh, you can have yeah. a freak out. A child could run down a very safe corridor, slip, bang their head on a wall and really hurt themselves. Like there is risk in everything we do in life. Yes, there is. There's yeah. risk the child jumping in the car with mum to come to nursery. There's a risk. There's yeah. a much higher risk on the roads than there is anything at nursery. Yeah. And, and as long as the risk is in the right place, as long as you're not cutting safeguarding corners or producing risk in those areas, yeah. we're talking strictly in terms of play. And learning and development. And it's it, it, always in my head, I go a little bit to the work of um, Lev Vygotsky yeah. in terms of, of, of providing children with opportunities to play that are ever so slightly outside of their own ability to grasp. So if yes. you know... What they're trying to do is is just a touch out of their remit. They might surprise you, but the odds are they're going to need adult help or assistance somewhere on the line. Even if that's just a, no, actually try and put your arm there and do it there or do this, do this. You're giving them a bit of wisdom. The element of risk that is in, is, is the best way of, of almost providing that scaffolded learning opportunity. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because that's when a child's most outside their comfort. And then we can talk about the emotional aspect of it in terms of self-regulation and presenting them with difficulties and presenting them with opportunities to actually deal with whether it be upset, pain, frustration. That's a big one, being able to deal with the frustration of not being able to do it, even though they really want to do it. Well, okay, now you're in that in upset, you're in that moment of frustration. What are we going to do? Let's calm down and let's think about what your options are and how you can do it. And, and through co-regulation, through talking to them, you are, then are presenting them strategies for self-regulation. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm sure I'm missing out lots of examples, but these are just some ways that we can think about what risky play can do um and yeah it's a difficult one because then you, you people listen to this and go, think right we're going to introduce more risky play you don't want to go too far away and present opportunities where children can't you don't want to set it up that children are going to fail no. but you also want to set it up in a way that you really are presenting them with with an element of i think risk is probably the wrong word i think risk is what puts people off that that idea of a risk but it's also that we are all as individuals presented with risks and decisions and frustration every day. Mm. And if we take that away from children in early years, like you said, they'll never learn those skills behind it. They'll never learn the social skills that come with it, the emotional skills, regulation skills, et cetera, the physical skills that come from that risk or decision-making or, or so troubled the, play. Probably best to call it challenging play, do you know what I mean? Because like, there's no yeah. challenge to it. But if you never provide children with how to deal with that and what their what their personal limits are, they're going to grow up and either think I can do everything because I've never been exposed to anything that's provided me with a challenge or... Scared to do anything. Children that do not want to participate in anything because they don't know how far their body can take yeah. them. And both of them is a risk because as an adult, we face disappointment. As adults, you're not going to get every single job you apply for. You're not going to be in a successful... Every single relationship is not going to be a successful one that you're in, whether that be romantic or friendship. Yeah. There's disappointment and there's risk to everything that we do. And learning what disappointment feels like from a young age and learning how to cope with that is really important. And if on the flip side, we don't want children to grow up into adults who are scared to participate in anything because they don't know what their body is capable of. Yeah. So it's finding that balance of it's not like, allowing children to be too, sorry, not allowing children to be too disappointed and give up, but also never exposing them to anything so that they don't learn what they're capable of, what disappointment is. Sorry, it's like woodwork. 
you know, woodwork's a massive one that is yeah. deemed to be risky. And a lot of parents probably go, ooh, I don't want my little boy involved with woodwork of that age because of the risk involved around it. But realistically, what's the risk? He's going to bang and hammer his finger. There's only a certain amount of times somebody will hammer their finger with a hammer trying to put in a thing before they become good at either using the hammer or they very quickly learn, I'm actually going to hold it in I a different way. My hand away I'm doing something yeah. evidently wrong. And there's only a certain amount of times. And so what if they bang their finger and it hurts and it goes a bit blue? And what's the worst that's going to come from that? In reality, what, what sometimes like fall off, is it? Like... And that's the thing. That's the worst of the worst. I, I doubt that'll happen yeah. very often. Um, but through repetition, because again, we know that through brain development, repetition is one of the most important things to learn something because you strengthen that neurological framework within the brains. And the more you do something, the better and better you become at it. And the more you learn it, the more you grasp yeah. that skill. So woodwork's a perfect example of that. And then and then it has real work values. It's, it's a real thing using a hammer. It's a real skill that as you get older, you're going to be able to do more people will be able to do DIY skills in the house. You'd be able, But there's a function, isn't there? There is a skill yeah. behind that. Um, and it, that's what's deemed as, as, as risky, using that hammer. Now, yes, of course, if they're not watched well, the children, you're not actually engaging with them for a practitioner, you just let them loose with hammers, there's then more risk because little Timmy could turn around and belt another child over the head with a hammer. Yeah. Of course, but I don't... We both went, to, they'll hit someone over the head. But I don't feel like that needs to be stipulated. Obviously, if you're taking part in activities using equipment like that, it needs to be done in a specific way. And it does need to be more adult-led and, and yeah. at first. But as you get better and you start doing it and your class becomes more tentative to it, they will learn the pattern of what you're doing and then you can provide them with more freedom and more freedom because that freedom will become creative freedom rather than an, a lack of understanding of what to do with the equipment and then look for another avenue of using the equipment for something else banging walls or whatever it might be yeah and that, yeah so it's it's weighing uh, weighing the risk up and a, are your children ready for it because some children won't be ready for it there's mm. you have to assess everybody but if we'd never provide them with any of these opportunities we're just setting them up for failure in the future and the thing is if you never provide them like talk about woodwork with the risk of woodwork it'll forever and always be a risk because they've not conquered it yeah does that make sense yeah until they get to an age of whether they be an adult and they're either embarrassed because they've never actually used a hammer in their life and they've never done it or they get exposed to it later on because they do woodwork at school or they go and do an apprenticeship and they yeah. do it they never functionally learn those skills no that's not a good thing no, no so i think at some point in presenting these risks is a must um, and I think the way we do it is the most important thing and the cleverness of how we do it, the attentiveness of the adults, role-playing, I would say role-playing, role-modeling, <laughs> doing things like that as adults to demonstrate how we best use things or how we solve situations, problem-solve and provide the children with those skills rather than just either saying, jump, throwing them in the deep end and say, right, there you go, we can play, get on with it. No. Or saying, actually, we're going to keep you wrapped up in, in cotton wool. Yeah, no. So that is risky play. We... Give it a go. Do it, yeah. Challenge yourself more. It comes down to parent communication as well. Communicate with your parents. If you're wanting to start elements of um, woodwork or you want to embrace that or you're going to start doing these other bits. Even tree climbing. Yeah. Just communicate with your parents. So this is what we're going to be doing. Make sure they're wearing the right clothes. Don't try and start doing cleat climbing. Don't start trying to do tree climbing in a pair of jeans. Like, or a dress. Or a dress. Like I wouldn't do that. That sounds horribly impractical. How can you get the right movement? You could. I'm a tree in a dress. dress. Dresses actually wouldn't be that bad. No, I could probably do it in a dress because you've got lots of, not restricted, <laughs> are you? Whereas in a pair of jeans, you're horribly restricted. So 
I think it's communicating about the correct clothes. So we're going to end with some questions mm-hmm. on outdoor play. Yep. Um, sleeping outside, thoughts, opinions, etc. That was kind of the question. Do we think? Right. You're quite passionate about I love sleeping outdoors. I think it's great. I think if you can do it, do it. Um, you have to risk assess where you are. All types of weather in England bring complication. I imagine England's one of the slightly more difficult. But I then say that then you haven't got the extreme of heat that other nations have. I think it's difficult in the winter. I would probably be a... Yeah. Oh, good, yeah. You've got to have thermal blankets, except You've got to put investment in to sleep outdoors in this country in the winter months, yeah. Um, but there's no reason why you can't do when it's a little bit warmer. I mean, it rained through the whole of June this year or July, whatever it was. So yep. our summers and winters aren't really defined no. as such. But if you can do it, I think do it. We have got a post on Instagram that shares the benefits of outdoor sleeping, and I will reshare that. This week, Stick in the stories, because, yeah. um, you can have a read as to why it brings so many different benefits, but from health benefits to better sleep to the air quality children are exposed to, it is just, yeah. there, there yeah. are really strong benefits. So for me personally, I think... Well, if you think about it, it's the air quality is better, the air quality and is, is closely linked to sleep and the ability to sleep, so that's Left probably illnesses, one of the biggest ones. Um, and then just again, we go back century probably, feeling the wind. A lot of people, I know we're not, this isn't the same thing, but a lot of people find it easy to sleep when they're on boats because of that that rocky nature. It goes back to being a baby and being rocked. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think in the yeah. spring months, definitely look. And I think you have to persevere with it. It's not going to happen overnight. No. Uh, children won't get acclimatized to it that fast. So God, no, if yeah, you only yeah. do it two or three times and then you think, oh, it's a pain in the ass, I'm not doing it anymore, you're probably not going to give yourself that chance to succeed. But stick to it two or three, four weeks, and I think you'll see the benefits of it. Yeah. Um, the next one was um, ideas of getting babies outdoors in the winter months. Yeah. For me personally, that is what they're wearing. You have to be prepared. Babies have to be prepared for it. They can't tell you that they're hot or cold or no. however they're feeling. So it's communication with parents in that just because your child's in the sleep room, they will be going outdoors. Yeah. I think as I meant for babies as well, they don't quite have that ability to warm themselves yet. They don't no. physically as move as much. So you've probably got to give them a little bit more of a fighting chance. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because they don't have those regulatory skills. No. Not even the slightest. Um, But also, it doesn't, you don't have to just go out in the garden and play. Like You could go for a walk. You could get them in the prams and get them outside in different ways than you would a preschool. I think actually babies going outside is slightly more, it's probably closer linked to the benefits of sleeping outdoors for preschoolers in terms of being that calming, getting that good quality air through their lungs, bits and pieces like that. As opposed to the benefits, because we think when we were talking about earlier about preschoolers, it was all about, oh, I say preschoolers, but twos and preschoolers, oh, those young children. Yeah. It's about having freedom. But babies don't really have that freedom anyway because they haven't quite yet figured out or haven't quite got the physical development to take advantage of that freedom. Yes. So I think it's probably a bit more about giving them those sensory activities, utilising outdoor resources, and then doing that in an environment that they are warm, comfortable, sort of. Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and then our final question is, what do you do if children do not like going outside in the rain or the cold? Yeah. For me, you can't, if you force a child and tell them that's what, what is happening, no cho- there's no communication, there's no nothing on it, you're going to hit that wall and it's going to be difficult and you're going to be met with an emotional response that you don't like. And it go- that, that goes for anything, doesn't it? When you tell a child to do something and you go in head on with them and you do it in such a dictatorial way, you're always going to produce that trigger that's going to get that emotional response that then that leads to what we would deem as bad behaviour. Yeah. 
when in reality, there is many more ways of, of solving that issue, uh, whether it be through, through role modeling and doing things like that through play, that you're going to convince the child, or not, not convince the child, and again, that's the wrong terminology, but show the child and try and engage their excitement towards it and their interest towards it. I think another benefit of that comes from finding more about that unique child and what stimulates them and bringing that to the fore through outdoor play and stimulate. We talked about this briefly previously about um, the bear hunt, whether that be something they find exciting or whether yeah. it's just a popularly used methodology, but you could then incorporate that outside. If they might be excited in, I don't know, I'm thinking of the top of my head now, but it might be hairdressing. And you want to incorporate that somehow outside. I mean, bring the physical activity into hairdressing, actually, that's probably... Um, not the greatest idea I've ever had. Way of not running. Cutting grass with scissors? Cutting grass and running? No, but <laughs> going back to motor physical. Risky, extreme risky play. <laughs> um, but no, I think what I'm saying is to find out what drives that unique child. Yeah. What is their interest? What are they excited about? And then role model that through your activities, through your play, how you interact with the child. Give them that bit of one-to-one. Find what stimulates them and find out What's the trigger? What's stopping them wanting to go outside? Is it a negative experience in the past? Is it the cold? Do they have appropriate clothing? Is it the fact they actually maybe have a bit of social anxiety? Do they just not enjoy the idea of having to go out and run around? If so, get physical development and get physical play wrapped up in forms of play which they enjoy and are stimulated by. Exactly, yeah. I think that would probably be my best advice. And have a bit of patience with it. Little bit of Isn't, patience. Exactly. And even as adults, if somebody tells me we're going outside or I know I'm in a setting where I'm going to be outside, I bring the equipment with me that's going to help me through that. Yeah, absolutely. Being outside. Don't set the child up to fail and communicate with them. If if there is a forest school and their forest school day is Tuesday, but it's Thursday and they're not prepared for it and you're telling them they're going. Yeah. Don't set them up for that failure. It's the flip. We're quite good at the other way around. So if you think about you're doing story and you want to get communication language and you want to get a child more involved in stories, but there's a particular child that just doesn't like to sit still and listen to stories, got no engagement with it. You can always see them at the back. They're looking around for anything else they could possibly do. We sort of inherently know what to do with that child in terms of you try and make them a fidget toy, give them something else to do. We make the story and concepts of stories interactive and we get them doing amateur dramatics and we get them playing that way. It's about having the same reverse skills for children actually that don't want to go outside and run around. That individual child who probably struggles with concentrating is probably incredibly stimulated outside because they want to burn off that energy. So they're in their realm of, 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 of success almost. I mean, they're in their realm. The other child though who might be really attentive to stories and love it and drive off that adult interaction and listening, then also when you present outside might go, eh, eh, not for me. No. But it's about finding ways that the same we did with the other child in terms of turning stories into actions. It's about creating physical activity into something that they would enjoy. They enjoy. Incorporate yeah. with. Yeah. That would be what we would say. Patience, take it and view that child as the individual that they are and deal with their interests Absolutely. at the heart of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so that is this week's weekly show. Oh, outdoor learning. Outdoors, give it a go. Thanks for coming into work today. No problem. <laughs> I won't find in sick next week, I promise. Um, yeah, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. I hope you've taken something away from it with outdoor learning and can reflect on what you're possibly doing or not doing at the moment and how you can incorporate and embrace the outdoors a little bit more in your early years environment, whatever that might yep. look like. Okay, that was us this week. I hope you have enjoyed. Um, let us know on Instagram your thoughts. Um, share your opinions on your outdoor learning space 
and we will see you next week for another weekly episode. I think next week we'll follow the idea of social learning. I think we're going to be talking about social learning. So, yeah, look forward to that one. We will see you then. Yep. Um, enjoy the rest of your week and we will see you in the next one. Will do. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.